So, um, yeah, we just all of us got to go and look. I actually went and looked at the end. Um, what was that like, going to look? Tell me, what did you notice about your experience? Love books. Uh -huh. Love books, yeah. What did you notice? We should let's have the habit, all of us, of announcing ourselves with our name for everybody to know. Roz. Roz. So then we'll learn it. Everybody will learn it together. But, uh, so, okay, who else had, wants to tell? <laughs> so Anita is saying the incredible interest. So if we had time, we'd say, for instance, what were, what were the what were the most surprising ones back there? Cupcake pants. <laughs> the cupcake pants. You really want the frog. <laughs> and then I walked away from it, and I thought, but I've had it. And I said, so Roz really wants those children's books, and Anita really wants the frog. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very interesting thing. That never buy. What well, your name is? Eileen. Eileen. Eileen said I would never buy. I should always go shopping, in this frame of mind. In fact, I think people. Uh, I think that marketers know that, and so at the entrance of say supermarkets, uh, is the most appealing smelling looking stuff as you walk in. So because you probably are hungry on going in. And it's there, uh, if, you, if you come with hunger and there's something that meets you, say, oh, you know. But the, the standard thing that people tell me about Trader Joe's is that it's impossible to go in there and buy one thing. Because if you go in to get the one thing, there are so many things that catch your... Look at this, uh, mango chutney, that's just what I need, which you didn't need when you went in, you know, but... 
But it's so interesting, so that here's all this stuff. Not to say that any of this is naughty. I mean, that the mind responds to pleasurable things. If somebody says, you know, the opera is doing so-and-so this fall, so, oh, I wanted to do that. Uh, not that any of this is to suggest that uh, liking things and uh, aesthetic pleasures or sense pleasures are bad for people. It's really talking about the flutter and the I need to have it feeling. What else did you discover as you went back? Uh, well, I saw it. I didn't understand at the beginning, so I put my money in the basket. Took two books back with me. But, um, oh, is there a money thing? I didn't see the money thing. Yeah, there's a money thing? Yeah, there's a, yeah. Voluntary money. Yeah. 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 Okay. But um, then I just didn't want to get go back. I mean, I was, I was enjoying the meditation so much, I just didn't. I was saying to myself... Maybe have a satisfied mind. <laughs> I wasn't ready to, to go back, so I didn't. Yeah. But um, and I think that's the same thing with shopping. I mean, I find myself I'm doing less and less shopping because if you don't shop, you don't need anything. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if you don't shop, you don't need anything. Is Susan's uh, wisdom contributing? And and really to think about that, the third noble truth is really having to do with the mind that doesn't need anything to be different. It doesn't need it to be different. It could like it to be different, but it's the mind that's unable to say, it's the mind that's saying in in words or in feeling, I cannot rest unless I have this or I get this. Unless I have a relationship, I can't be happy. Unless I have such and such a thing, I can't be happy. It doesn't mean that it's not a good thing to say, I wish I had a relationship. Or I wish I had a different job, if your own job is not a one that's gratifying. Or I wish I had children's books for my grandchildren, or whatever it is that we want. There are lots of wholesome things to want. But so it's not a problem about wanting. Sometimes I think that um, um, if you think about the first line of the 23rd Psalm, uh, or the second line, actually, I shall not want... The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then it goes on to say, all my needs will be provided for. But I think actually that the the line, I shall not want, means I won't suffer from desire. Because we have all kinds of things that we want that are wholesome things. It's a really important thing. And the Buddha was not uh, teaching uh, asceticism. As a matter of fact, what he actually preached was the middle path. And it doesn't have to do with having or not having. He befriended kings and they, be, and they befriended him. It has to do with the quality of the mind that cannot be happy except if it gets or gets rid of something. So what else did you discover as you went back? Tell everybody your name. Uh huh. Anybody was thinking, when can I go? When can I go? When can I go? You didn't think that, yeah? You were. What were you gonna say? (laughs) (laughs) What is your strategy? (laughs) 
know that I want, <laughs> I want you to know that I did a little strategizing myself, thinking about how we are going to actually get you know but go back and get stuff. You can't say ready, set, go, and everybody go at the same time. Nor I, uh, nor did I want to wait till the end and have a you know. I, I know if nobody wants a scuffle. Everybody wants to think it over, and everybody wants to be cognizant of other people. So I thought, well, there ought to be a good way to do it. And then I thought, well, I could say uh, all men go first because we have less men than women, so it wouldn't be a, that seems to be an all right category. Then I thought, well, maybe if all the men go first and women under thirty, or then women da da da, or uh, you know people with gray hair, or you know all different ways, uh, but all of those would favor one group av- over another. So I have figured out, <laughs> but you don't know yet. It doesn't matter. Okay. Okay, I figured it out. (laughs) We're not going to do it yet, though. Um, What else did you discover as you, yeah? Actually, Libby, I'm very happy that you said that, and particularly the word covet, because it's different from want, you know, or admire, you know. Um. (laughs) Uh, uh, I am very fortunate. As you know, I live up in Geyserville, and I have another place that I live in France. So, I mean, how can I covet? I have two houses, and both of them are very small, and... uh, so when we go to visit someone who has like a big house with a lot of closets, a lot of closets, I notice that I have I get an attack of closet envy. That I don't want their house, I don't want the big house. I love my houses, I chose them the way they were. But if it had a few closets, it would be good. So that you know but so I have to go through people's I I, I say sometimes when we're leaving I say, that person's closet is bigger than our bedroom. And I don't mind that it's, I don't mind my small bedroom, but I covet closets. <laughs> but it's, actually, no, actually, I'd like a closet, but I don't covet closets. I don't think about closets until I visit people who have closets. <laughs> then I think about it. But it's not, a, it's not a big problem. The thing is, is it a problem in the mind? Does it wrinkle the mind? Or does it just go past? What else did you think about? Linda? Yeah. <laughs> and then reminding myself where I what I, what my thing was, and uh, um, I said it was just like my meditation. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean it's just like your meditations? Uh, I can sit down and breathe in, breathe out, and then the the thoughts come in, and some of them 
can let go and then a thought comes in that I then focus on and it takes me a while to go, you just did a whole story around that Yeah. To bring myself back to the breathing. Uh-huh. <laughs> Actually, I think that's a very important point. I'm glad we did this because there's a lot of Dharma. Linda's saying, I sit down, I have the intention, thoughts will come and go, thoughts will come and go, thoughts will come and go, and I'll sit easily with them. And two or three thoughts come and go, and then one thought comes and it doesn't go. I run away with it and fall into a dream about it. It's not bad to think a thought, but if it isn't where you intend it to go, you know, that means something captured your mind, and you don't know about it at the time. You don't know about it until the, until the drama is halfway down, you know, rolling along for 15 minutes. Oh, where was I? It's not about that it's wrong to think dramas or to think scenes. The, the 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 sense of the relaxed mind is it's not held captive by anything, really. That you can look at the books, you can have they say, oh, that one is really the one I want. And as you watch, someone else's hand reaches out and gets it. <laughs> say, oh, okay, I didn't get it. Okay. And if the mind could just do that, it doesn't so easily do that. Um, if you've ever been to the, the uh, trying on room in Lomans, and uh, who here has been to the trying on room in Lomans in San Francisco? The thing about Lomans is that the trying on room is communal, so that there, uh, so that you see what other people are trying on, and it's got mirrors all around it. So you're trying on your stuff, but you see stuff that other people have. That they, you know, and something looks good, and you check out that person about your size, and then you say, "Listen, if you're not taking that." <laughs> that ever happened to you? I mean, and you didn't actually want it out there, but then you saw it on a person, and all of a sudden. What else did you notice about there? Possibly, oh, yeah. My name's Jerry. What was so fascinating is I came here not wanting anything. <laughs> I looked at them, and all of a sudden, these aren't rare editions that have never been published before. We're all of a sudden locked on the top of a mountain, and those are the only books. <laughs> Within 15 minutes of leaving here, we can be on our computer at a bookstore and buy any of them. Yeah. And what created this anxiety and need just in this room, just at this present moment? I thought that was fascinating. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that fascinating that you just go buy something and you didn't have it? We actually don't have a need for it. If there was really a burning need to have one of those, you, we could actually. Most of us go home and buy it off, off the Internet right away. But all of a sudden, there's a sense of getting is a possibility here. And the mind really does that. It's amazing. Pasquale, what were you going to say? Um, Pasquale, hi. What I noticed is that uh, I have a tendency not to miss anything. You know, I just want to cover the whole field. And I noticed that was the, the main thing. Uh, so you looked over the whole field. Then. Yeah, and I felt I, I had no desire for anything else. <laughs> what else? so many books back there that I've read before and it was almost like seeing an old friend that you know is going to get to meet one of your new friends uh, it just felt really joyful I felt a lot of happiness when I went back and looked at because there are some books that I've read that I didn't bring that I know are wonderful so I said oh good someone's going to get this I wanted to recommend them to people I didn't 
<laughs> I did too, but I'm keeping it together. <laughs> what else? What else? Yeah. I selected this cram book. I, you know, I shouldn't take more. And then I, when I sat back, I, I, I wouldn't have realized this if I hadn't come back and meditated. Is that I um, serving my own kids' needs? You know, the first grader really wanting to read, and that would have been something more for her. But I had kind of just gone over it because I had already made a choice which I thought would be interesting for them, which they haven't expressed an interest in or something new that I would bring to him. And I was like, whoa, I missed that. Mm. And I thought, well, I'm glad I had time to sit down and think about that. You know, Molly, that particular line, I almost thinking of writing it down, I'm glad I had time to sit down and think about it, is probably the paradigmatic, important training line in the world. I'm glad I had time to sit down and think about it. Metaphorically or not, I think about mindfulness as that practice of making us, allowing a space in the mind between the impulse that arises and the action that follows it. We really, I, th- I think I talked about it a little bit last week, that again, it's not anything wrong with having an impulse. But the, the place in the mind that thinks, is this wise right now? Uh, the, in a very, very famous uh, teaching, in a, in a teaching sermon called uh, The Buddha's Teaching to Rahula. Rahula is his son who grew up, whom he had left to go off on his own enlightenment quest, and uh, as an adult ordained and became a monk in that order. And his instructions to Rahula were, before doing anything, think to yourself, is this for my well-being and the well-being of others? In the middle of doing anything, think to yourself, is this for my well-being and the well-being of others? After doing everything, think to yourself, is this for my well-being and the well-being of others? And obviously, if, if it's before and it isn't, you don't do it. If it's in the middle and you realize it isn't, you stop doing it and you fix it up. If it's afterwards, you go and you make amends. But my sense of it, because th- the, maybe the first time I heard it, I thought, boy, that would make life so stilted. You have to like reflect every minute. But I think actually what it means is be attentive all the time to what is my intention in this moment Am I really attuned to the needs of others, uh, as well as my own needs? But I think that's an important line, the needs of others as well as my own needs. I have to remember my own needs. But if I, the, sometimes when my own needs become so gigantic in my mind that I forget that there are any others in the whole planet, so I can kind of get absorbed. And Am I going to get what I want and forget about the whole rest of the world? And it's not that I can go out and meet the needs of the whole rest of the world, but if you remember that there's a world, and then my needs are less important. And then if I don't get what I wanted, it's just I didn't get what I wanted. Maybe next time. It really puts it in a perspective. You think of the stuff that you think that you need. It's very interesting to read the catalogs that come in the mail because they're all written in the kind of language that's seductive, you know, how how warm you're going to feel in this outfit and uh, how comfortable you're going to be on the plane in this outfit. 
uh, it's really, I, I, I like words and I like thinking about them and I think that those writers who write those catalogs are incredibly skilled because they never run out of seductive, juicy words to have you be interested in that. You know, I'm going to look like me more or less no matter what I put on and it's going to be the same more or less comfortable on, on a long plane flight, you know, there, you know, and I know what to wear that's comfortable, so I don't need another what to wear that's comfortable. But what else? This is a lot of... Julie. Um, for me, the first part of my life, I'd say up to a couple of, year, couple of years ago, was all about acquisition. I, I ran a theater, so you're always shopping for the theater, and I live in the community, you shop for the community and for yourself. And it was just sort of acquire, acquire, acquire. And then my life changed a couple of years ago from a big house to a small apartment. And at the beginning, I felt a lot of sadness because no room for anything. In fact, it's more like this, bringing a D, what's the word for opposite of acquisition? Acquisition. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to respond to the one about is it Buddhist practice. I think it. I think it is in this way. I, I think it's actually every kind of religious practice, and it has to do with the, the practice of generosity, with a, that every act of generosity, giving away something that's yours, whether it's your time or your attention or your financial resources or your stuff, whatever it is that you're giving away is in that moment saying, I am sensitive to the needs of others who might need this. And it's at the same time, this is maybe even more important, the ability to do it depends on a mind feeling um, uh, satisfied. I've got enough. I don't need it, is what really is the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, in, in, a prerequisite to it, whether we note it or not. Sometimes it's, it's uh, the... One of the really sweet ways I heard about that was uh, when they built Davies Symphony Hall. It must be 20 years ago now, something like that. Uh, it's named Davies Hall because Adele Davies, who for, I'm not sure, had a, gave them $6 million to build that hall. And uh, an interviewer for the Chronicle asked her, Ms. Davies, uh, why did you give $6 million to build the Symphony Hall? And she said, because I had it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so I thought she was going to say something. I loved music. I wanted to spur the classical music in the city. She said, because I had it. And in some sense, I actually think that it means I didn't need it. I had it, and I had it to give away. I didn't need it. So no thought arose in the mind. There, uh, We've had, uh, I think in this group, some discussions in the past about is it generosity when you go through your closet and you say, you know, I haven't worn this sweater in three years. I can give it to the Goodwill, and this I can give to the Goodwill, and this I can get a big bag, and you say, okay, I'm giving this to the Goodwill. I'm being generous. But is it actually generosity if it's completely easy? You haven't worn it in two years, and you don't need it. Uh, is that just wisdom? You're cleaning out your closets, you know? 
or but you know it's an interesting thing to think about because you can go from one you know if, is there anyone who's ever generous if there's no one there it's just arising as the karma of the moment maybe maybe generosity is just an idea maybe when there is enough giving away happens something like that maybe one or two more go ahead what's your name Michael. I was just thinking of something else when you said that. I was at a friend's house the other night, and she said to me, what would you take from my living room? Because she was showing me her living room if, if there was a fire. And I was looking around, and I just noticed this little tiny thing from Mexico. It was like a little deer made out of wood, and it was colorful. I was like, what do I want to And she said, really? <laughs> I said, yeah. And at the end, when I was leaving, she gave me the little deer. And I thought, that was really sweet. You know, that's this act of generosity. When uh-huh. she gives you something that's in their house, or, you know, there. But when I, I like to wander around bookstores and hardware stores and art galleries, and I, and I don't really like to shop and buy things, but I love to just wander around. So I went back there, I found just more of a sense of wonderment. I waited for the crowd to kind of part, and I just kind of looked at the stuff, and it just kind of felt a little dreamy. I, I didn't really think about even touching the books. Uh-huh. It was fun just to be in that meditative state and just kind of look at things that was different than wandering to a bookstore. Yeah. Thank you very much. Everybody here about, you know, look at the stuff with a sense of wonderment. Look at all this stuff and not really needing it. Or, um, it isn't even like an exam, you know, that uh, if you went back and you didn't need anything and lust didn't arise, that, that means you're a holier person than somebody else in whom lust arose, you know. Because t- tomorrow lust might arise in the, that, that, so to speak, holy person over something else, you know. We are never actually home free from the arising of desire. You know, in any way, somebody come home and say to me, I just went on a retreat with Ajahn so-and-so, and it was great, and she taught this and that and the other. And I begin to think, ah, when can I go on a retreat with Ajahn so-and-so? With two, two minutes before, I wasn't thinking about it. You could have lust about... Holy stuff and stuff that doesn't cost anything and stuff. You think, well, that's great, that zeal for practice. But no, actually, it's actually lust for an experience you haven't had yet. You know, and, and Ajahn so-and-so is not going to do it for me. If anything is going to happen in the way of my mind getting used to accommodating challenge, it's going to happen because it does it itself. And it absolutely, it's wonderful to have teachers that inspire you. But if not this one, that one. And if not that one, that one. Or this or that event in life could happen. Anybody else want to say something about the books? There you go. I'm Lorna. And I come from a literary family, so books are revered in my family. And um, I could care less about clothes and material possessions, not to put a gun to my head to make me go shopping, but books, um, you know, are it. I have 3,000 of them probably. And I've been observing myself for years and watching how I indulge myself in being possessive and coveting them and, and uh, overbuying in bookstores. And I've, as I've observed myself, I've wondered, when will I be willing to stop? Uh-huh. And when I walked by today, I had that familiar feeling of, ooh, I want that and that and that. And then I thought, today's the day. <laughs> <laughs> and I really, I feel done. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm going through all my books at home and thinking about 95%. Huh? <laughs> I'm very happy today. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be another book exchange, right? 
<laughs> well, it really does have to do with a state of sufficiency. Um, maybe there's one more thing I want to teach it because I think in some way we should go and get some stuff so we can talk about it. How many people really liked something and thought, ah, that's what I really want? Rebecca positioned herself over there. Roz wants those children's books, and you want the frog. And what What? What, what was it that you coveted, um, Nancy? There were two books, actually. Neither of them for me, but that I yeah. saw and I thought, oh, this is just what I wanted to get, and I have to order it off the Internet, and there it is right there. Anybody else really, really wanted something? Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing that. How many? That's not very many people who really, really had something. How, well, how would you feel as a group if we said right now, the people who really, really, go and get it? Okay, go, Roz. Take that whole children's book. You can offer them once you get them. Go. Go ahead, Nancy. Get what you want. How many people, you get a little goose flush? Don't you feel happy that they're getting what you want? You know what that is? I'll tell you what that happiness is. Okay, if you change your mind and you know that there's something that you really, really want, go get it. Did you get it, Rebecca? Yes. It was the secret language of dreams with a reading jacket. Oh, wow. So you know what this good feeling is? You have I have goose flesh. You? Yeah. Sympathetic joy. Mudita is sympathetic joy. And go ahead, Susan, you want something? Oh. <laughs> so what did you get? Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, there he is, that frog right in the middle. It's paper cut. It's beautiful. Pass it around. <laughs> so mudita is the is a double kind of a joy. It's a joy of um, it's the joy of actually seeing that somebody got something that they really really want. And I think it's the recognition that life is difficult, and we don't always get what we want, and we certainly don't always get what we really really want. So it's a great pleasure when somebody gets what they really, really want. Um, and it actually picks up your own mind. Go ahead. Well, I, so in the two or three minutes since this thing started, um, I've gone through a little bit of shame, um, a little bit of embarrassment, and uh, feeling an old remembrance of it, 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 not always being okay to get what you want. Mm-hmm. And all of this stuff, I mean, in less than three minutes. Exactly. How many people of the people that went back and got something, when I said, okay, go and get it, had a momentary worry about a hope somebody else isn't wanting what I exactly want? <laughs> <laughs> I want to say thank you. You know, 
feels like a gift. Yeah. Or it is a gift. And I didn't even know this was happening today. And so I just, and the feeling of thank you is also a flow. Mm-hmm. It's great. You know, I really wanted to do this. Well, I'm happy. I'm really happy. Because everybody else had pleasure in you getting what you wanted. And you know what's really... The, I actually think mudita practice is the hardest of the Brahma-vihara practices, harder than compassion. I think when we see somebody in distress, you know, the heart goes out to them, really. But when you see somebody getting something that they really, really wanted... It, it, sometimes if it's something that you yourself really, really wanted, you don't have so much pleasure in them getting it. You have actually thinking, how come they got it and I didn't get it and when is going to be my turn? And It's all right, okay, great that they got it, but I'd like to have it too. And if it's something that you really, really want, I always think about, we, uh, if I'm going to teach that, I make up something like, your very best friend calls you and says, guess what, I got promoted in my job. So I'm now a manager. Uh, the book proposal that I submitted for my novel got accepted. I have a publisher. <laughs> and uh, when I went out to lunch with my agent, they brought along a friend of theirs, and we immediately fell in love. So now I have a relationship <laughs> also. And they're your best friend. So, so you're, you know, you're, they're your best friend, and they just got three things that you didn't just get. And I know, for me, it's, there's, it's not that I wish my friend wouldn't have that, but if the, one of those is something that I have on my wish list, then all of a sudden I remember my wish list and it hurts me. Because one of the things that we are actually talking about is that having a wish list is painful. <clears throat> it means that I don't have everything I need. You know, that in some sense, you know, because there's always another thing. And it mostly, I think, we're doing this today with books, but mostly I think what what we actually want, maybe this is what I want to say, and then we'll do the way of everybody else getting them. Mostly I think what we want is peace of mind. Mostly we want not to be frightened. Someone gave us a wish list uh, that we somehow, I should feel uh, that my mind is relaxed about what I have or don't have. It, it could even... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I know, Lisa, I'll remember where I am. Just a quick question. Would you know that sharing... Would you share that with your best friend, having that wisdom? Uh, you know, it's never happened to me exactly in that constellation. But, you know, probably if they were my best friend, I would. Probably I would. I'd say, I can't believe it that this happened to you. And I am thrilled for you. And let me tell you, sweetheart, (laughs) the part of it that makes me most jealous is A, B, or C. Why not? I mean, then they'll know that all the more fabulous what they got, because I'd like it too. And actually, the great wisdom behind that is now is the time. You know, everybody gets something sometime, and now is their time. Maybe it'll be my time. Maybe tomorrow my great relationship will show up. Yeah. Peter, again, I, I think it's important that we keep a broad separation between need and want. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't use those, you can't intermix those terms. Totally different concepts. Well, I think you're right, but why don't you say a little bit more? Exactly, because I hear, I, in my own mind, I have an understanding of that. 
want, but there are very few things that I need. Yeah, I think that that actually may be a crucial difference in talking about contentment in the mind. I'd, I'd like the world to save the planet from destruction. I'd like there to be the end of wars. I'd like there to be a more equitable distribution of resources on this planet. I'd like for all my children to be happy. I'd like for all my friends to have all the relationships that they want. I'd like for myself not to have uh, whatever, uh, you know, whatever creaks and aches uh, an aging body is uh, subject to. I wouldn't mind feeling like I was 50 again, but it isn't going to happen. So, so, you know, the, what, what, would you, what would you like, and uh, do you need it? Do you need it to be happy? Or can you say, this would be all the things, a magic wand, I would do this, this, and this. But without the magic wand, the only thing I can do is have my mind accommodated in wisdom. Either it's not my turn to have this or that, or this is what happens when you age, or this is life, or... It's actually wisdom that is the antidote always to greed or anger. <coughs> wisdom is always the antidote to everything. Um, I know this is a big topic, but um, can you share something about you know, working towards something without being attached to the outcome? Like, um, you, you, there's something that you want, it's on your wish list, and you're working towards it, and it happens or it doesn't happen, and not getting too attached to whether it happens or not. Well, can you get like a, give an example? Like people start, college, you know, there are lots of things that we do that are projects that are feasible projects. Like I could, you know, start college and finish and work hard towards it. Yeah. You're right. You know what, you know, this, this is a very big topic, and uh, maybe we'll sense, you know, as we come later in this election year, we'll maybe spend a whole morning. Uh, but I, I'll tell you the story of my friend Tony, who uses this very, the, the, the very concept that you're pointing to as part of his daily practice. He said he rides around in this car a lot. Tony Bernhardt, who sometimes comes here to teach. And... Um, he said one of his practices is listening to talk radio of the, of the kind that he doesn't have to share their belief. And he said but he takes him about 20 minutes to get for, from, from the office that he was working to get home or 40 minutes or something. He said, and I time myself to see how long I can listen without, without getting all stirred up. Uh, and the idea, first of all, training the mind to listen and to think this is that person's opinion. And I say, but that's just that person's opinion. It's not my opinion. But the mind right away thinks, but this person's opinion is, first of all, dangerous, putting it out on the airwaves. And second of all, it's not true. And it, but is it to, to listen, to hear that and say, it is, I think it's not true, and I think this is dangerous thought, but I actually can't do anything about it. So that getting riled up, at this point wouldn't do any good. What could I possibly do while I can support who I'm supporting? Actually, the the biggest part of his practice, I've tried it, I told him I can't do it, it's too hard for me, but uh, the, big, the biggest part of his practice is he said, I, I keep my, from time to time I say to myself, maybe they're right. That's a really hard piece of the practice. Maybe they're right. 
and you watch the mind go, ah, they're not right. <laughs> but then I realize how much attached I am to my own view of that, you know, this is the way it is. How do I know? I mean, a lot of reputable people have a view that's completely different from mine. How about all the people whose first names start with I-J-K-L-M-N-O? Can go and get whatever they like in the back. I'm going to continue so you can listen to what we're saying. All the people whose names... See, this is absolutely... Because I didn't know who they were. Not men, not women, not old, not young. First letter of your name, I-J-K-L-M-N-O. And take what you like. I think that, yeah, go ahead. Now, I caught you mentioning sentence. Um, There's some place between the sense of aliveness, you talk about the flutter of the heart, and it is sweet to have that sense of aliveness Mm -hmm. and feels important And when that's not there, um, you can have be contented Mm -hmm. and have peace of mind, but it's a different quality to the journey. You know, that's a very important point about. uh, It it brings a question up about uh, if the mind is not needy, um, if the mind rests in equanimity, could it still get excited about stuff? Could it watch a 49ers game and care about what's happening? Could you go to your grandson's graduation from the eighth grade and get excited when, uh, you know, because I know when I, I've noticed this at a couple of grandchildren's graduation, you're sitting at some far distance and in come all these beautiful people, all looking lovely and young and brushed and combed and dressed and beautiful. And what you're looking for is yours, you know, (laughs) because we have particularity, you know, we don't, so just to say, we get excited about, and then when ours comes around the corner, we think, there she is, there he is, and, you know, we get excited. Could you have equanimity and still, would you be passionless? This is a huge question, so I actually don't know the answer, I'm thinking about it, and I could actually work it both ways, Phyllis, what? Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, and it, it relates to what this woman back here said, it doesn't mean that we're totally void of emotion or, or mm-hmm. that, that fluttering in the heart. It just means our you know, whole lives don't depend on an exact outcome. But it's not indifference. Yeah, not indifference. And the heart flutters a lot, you know. It flutters, you know, I had to pull over yesterday as I was driving because of... Um, a paramedic needed to get by, so suddenly they're behind you flashing the lights and doing the siren, and you move over, and then you think, oh, somebody's in trouble. You don't even know who. You know that We don't become passionless. I thought I would tell you a story while people are... Uh, while people are doing that. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. You can go and get whatever you like. First name, A, B, C, D. Some years ago, this is the way I first learned about uh, 
a peaceful heart in the context of Buddhist meditation practice. We'll talk about this because I, you know it's not it, it's not how we are in our lives, but it was a very important learning for me. So I want to tell it to you. Uh, I was on a retreat probably in nineteen. 19- 85, 84, something, a long time ago, up in Santa Sabina, Angela Center, I remember exactly. Angela Center is a, a formerly Ursuline convent, now a retreat center up in Santa Rosa. It's a lovely place, and uh, it was February, I think, February of the year. So it was still a little cold and a little wet, and uh, the trees that uh, were deciduous, the flowering trees didn't the trees didn't have leaves and the uh, deciduous trees and the flowering trees hadn't yet flowered. But I was there for 10 days or so, sitting and walking and sitting and walking and uh, paying attention moment to moment and cultivating, I think, retrospectively, a certain amount of uh, equanimity and balance in my mind. And um, I went out one morning and... uh, sat down on a bench. It was just before lunchtime. It was maybe a quarter to 12 or 12, and maybe the lunch bell was at 12.15. And it was a walking period, so I went out and I sat down on a stone bench right beside the the convent door on the upper floor, if you've ever been there. It's a stone bench. So I, I sat down on a stone bench, and I realized it's a little cold and a little hard. A stone bench in February is not that all comfortable to sit on. But I was out there and already sitting, and I figured, well, pretty soon it'll be lunchtime. You can sit a little bit. And uh, in front of me was a uh, a fruit tree, maybe a flowering quince or maybe a flowering cherry, but without without blooms yet. And uh, my eyes were closed. Now, I have to include at this point that I had not long before read um, Annie Dillard, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. And if you know that book, it's early Annie Dillard, maybe her first book, maybe her second. She spent a year at Tinker Creek looking minutely at the changing of the seasons and the flora and the fauna and describing it quite beautifully. It remains one of my favorite books. And she's alone for all that year. Uh, uh, And she describes coming back to her cabin one day after a day out, looking at things and writing and she, she describes coming back to her cabin, and she said, and suddenly uh, I looked up, and uh, in, uh, coming up on my cabin, and I saw that the cypress tree was on fire. And I understood as I was reading it that that didn't actually mean that the cypress tree was on fire, that it was ablaze, but that maybe her vision was numinous at that point, and that everything looked extraordinary, as if sometimes people describe that everything is illuminated, everything is brilliant, everything is shining with a splendor it hasn't had before. And the thing is its regular self, but the mind is its shining self and seeing whatever it's seeing in the mirror of shining. I saw the cypress tree aflame, on fire, and I thought to myself, I want to have that. (laughs) In this life, I want to have the experience of illuminated vision so this was not immediately before this retreat, but it was sufficiently in my consciousness so that I'm sitting on this bench. It's a little bit cold, and I'm a little bit hungry, and the bench is a concrete bench. It's a little bit hard. And the air was damp. It was an overcast um, 
it was an overcast day. So sometimes, you know, when the air is damp here, you can feel it's damp, a little bit cold. If I'm sitting, it's cold, it's damp, I'm hungry, and the bench is hard. And I'm just breathing in and out and in and out. And all of a sudden, it occurs to me, I feel, I, I just somehow had the insight or the realization that my mind was totally relaxed, really relaxed. And in a, in a way that I had not either felt it before or felt it and noticed it before. So maybe likely I'd had that before but in my life, but I noticed it. I noticed this is the mind resting. Now this is really sitting here. I'm cold. Um, not a, The bench is hard. It's a little bit wet, a little bit hungry. And I'm completely at ease. And then the bell rang for lunch. I was a little hungry. And I noticed that as I was sitting there, just breathing and noticing this feeling of contented mind, peaceful mind, that no impulse arose in me to get up and go to lunch. Now, it wasn't that I thought, forget about lunch, I'll never go to lunch again, you know. That, <laughs> but, you know, and after some period of time, but... But in that moment, you know, if you're hungry and you're cold and you don't feel well, and the bell rings, you're up usually. But there I am sitting, and I realized that my mind did not leap up at the sound of the lunch bell. And I thought, that's amazing. My mind is really, really quiet. I bet when I open my eyes, this tree in front of me is going to look completely different than when I closed my eyes. It will be in some way spectacularly illuminated. So I opened my eyes, and the tree was exactly the same <laughs> as it had been. But it doesn't matter that the tree was exactly the same, because the mind state that didn't leap up when the lunch bell rang was not exactly the same as what I knew. And I actually remember that. It was such, I can remember it in my mind's eye. It is at least 20 years, more than 20 years, it's a 15-minute experience, five-minute experience. Right? Who knows how many-minute experience. And I wasn't in some other uh, plane of existence. It wasn't that all of my thoughts had stopped. It wasn't that I didn't know where I was. It's just that no impulse, I didn't need it to be other than exactly the way it was. And that was the most incredible feeling I, I could imagine at that point. And I had had... Uh, all those people who didn't go and get books can go and get books. I, and I had had, uh, in the, the years before and after them, that time, some very sublime mind states where the whole body is suffused with brilliant energy and you kind of swoon with uh, waves of um, warm friendliness towards other people. So I'd had some really uh, extraordinary, uh, vivid and energetic mind states and altered mind states, profoundly altered mind states, even mind states where the thoughts do stop for a while. And I realized then and since that uh, a peaceful mind is the most pleasant altered mind state I can think of, even though the other ones are exotic and for a little while, very interesting and enjoyable, pleasant. 
As an ongoing mind state, if I had a choice, I would take the one about I don't need it to be other. Is that a good story? I, I think so. I haven't remembered it in a long time. I brought this with me, and I want to remember to tell it to you while we're still here, because I thought we would have time more, which we don't, to talk about ways of cultivating that mind state. But this is actually a very good setup for next week's uh, uh, Fourth Noble Truth, which is the path to a uh, contented mind state. But I uh, wanted to talk, I wanted to add in today particularly things like um, listening to music as a way of uh, calming and uh, relaxing the mind, uh, looking at a beautiful image. Uh, I hope you'll come up or I'll pass this around as we're sitting and you look at uh, this uh, iconic image of the Buddha with contemporary um, uh, images in it. And we'll talk more about him next week. But I wanted to read one piece to you about uh, the lure and the uh, yearning for peace. We have yearnings for things and yearnings for experience, but I think the yearning for peace is the fundamental biggest yearning that we have. There's a line from uh, Nyosho Kempo. What is it? Um, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. I have to think about it and it'll come to me. About stopping the resting uh, the, this uh, tired mind from the uh, incessant waves of samsara. Who remembers? Rest your weary mind. What comes after that? Uh, I, I know it. Rest your, rest your weary mind. Uh, exhausted by the something of karma and I'll, I'll, I'll do it better next week because I'll get it right. But Things bring it to rest, and what encourages us is the idea that peace is possible. So this, in, the, in this issue of uh, the National Geographic, which is a January issue, it, it's uh, about cave paintings in India that have been discovered. Uh, and uh, they're, they're caves of, um, long time, of a long time ago, 1,500 years ago, and he, I, I'm not sure you can see from there, but this is Padmasambhava, an image of, a very beautiful image of, you're welcome to come up afterwards and see it. I wish you could see it better. I, I, well, we'll talk about reproductions. I have some reproductions to give you today. Enchantment has many faces, but few compare with the one painted 1,500 years ago on a cave wall in India. To see it, the eyes must first adjust to darkness. Soon it becomes impossible to turn away. The figure is of a bare-chested man. He wears a tall crown and holds a delicate lotus flower in one hand. His torso is curved as if swaying to music only he hears. His face is tranquility itself, his eyes half-closed, lips pursed in a faint smile, his whole being absorbed in the sweetest dream possible. 
This phase has radiated serenity since the 5th century when Buddhist monks inhabited a set of remarkable hand-cut cave temples built for them at Ajanta in central India. The name of the beatific figure is Bodhisattva Padmapani, a Buddhist deity who represents infinite compassion. Appearing near the entrance of one of the shrines, Padmapani stands as guardian, offering a vision of peace to all who enter. The painting is a mirror, whispered my guide. The Indian photographer and filmmaker <coughs> Benoit Bell said, it shows us the divine part of ourselves. <coughs> so, using imagery, but really to have um, a sense of the divine part of ourselves, a connection with the divine part of ourselves. A reminder that that place, actually I'm glad that they use the word divine because the, um, the word for the um, Brahma Viharas, equanimity that, that presents itself as friendliness and compassion and um, appreciation is divine abodes, the divine abodes of the mind. Brahma Vihara, Vihara is where people live. It's a dwelling place of Vihara. And Brahma Viharas is a dwelling, heavenly dwelling place, really. So take a breath in and out. So I'm ringing the bell not because it's, we ha I have five minutes and that was all the announcements. But one of them, it, they're, they're all important. One of them is, I'd like to have you do, you want to do a homework, please do a homework for next week. Here's the homework. Betsy, where's the, uh, the, the is that the box of, uh, where's the, where's the box of, Okay, that's the box we can just give out to everybody. Okay, why don't you give us Ruth, Ruth, sorry. Ruth is going to give out, pass out. I hope there's enough. We think there are. Uh, there we go. Betsy and Ruth both did the research, and they they came back from last week with reproductions of those photo, the, the of a photo. Uh, Thank you, Betsy and Ruth. Yay. Yay, Betsy and Ruth. Not only that, but uh, Ruth discovered that she has a place that will uh, make uh, make um, that same poster into a refrigerator magnet. <laughs> so these cost two dollars each. Just. How many people would like to have one for $2? Refrigerator magnet. Okay, so it's a magnet of that very same drawing. That other one you can't stick on your refrigerator. This one you can. Who wants it? Desire arise? <laughs> okay. Okay, I tell you, we won't do it quite yet then because next week, here's the homework. Everybody's got one of those pictures? You don't have one here? Anybody pass up here? Here's the homework. I'd like you to take that picture home, bring it back next week, and bring with it, this is the homework, 
Uh, no, it'd be too hard to get a four by six index card because you have to buy a whole box. Piece of, on a piece of three whole college line paper, or not college line paper, write 200 words, which is very short, 150 words, of what is the lesson or lessons in that picture. Between 100 and 200 words. On a piece of loose leaf paper, so we can put it in a loose leaf, we will then have 100 interpretations of this picture. In or out of a Dharma, Dharma is everything anyway, so you don't have to say in a Dharma context. Is this a good homework? Yes. Yes, okay. So this is the homework for next week. And then we won't decide about refrigerator magnets. You have to take that home and think about it and then think about if you really want it. Uh, Betsy also knows how to make them into postcards if you want to mail them to people. Do you all have, everybody have a picture that, there they are. have a picture, Michael? Ah, there you go. Do you have a picture? Ah, the website. Partage la la route. P A R T A G E R L A R O U T E. Partage la route. Share the sharing the road means to at every sharing the road means to put yourself at every moment in the place of others. And it's got that picture. So you study the picture, and you write, uh, and I'll bring a loose leaf, and we'll put them in. What, what exactly is this? What are we writing? You are writing, this is, I think, the lesson in this picture. This is what I think this picture is about. This is how I understand it. It's completely open what you do, but anywhere between 100 and 200 words. Okay. So now, if, uh, let me see if we have another... Uh, piece of message. Oh, I even forgot to do all those other magazines. This Sunday, what, it, oh, this is the basket of money. And we have to remind them that, that we made an agreement that if they brought, got books, they would put money in the basket. Oh, if, you, if you'd like, you know, nobody's going to know, but if you like, why don't you, uh, and you participate in the book business, no matter how much you take, even if you didn't participate in the book business, this is a. This is Elizabeth. Would you mind keeping this money from for the next few weeks sure. in a Manila envelope? When we have a substantial amount of money, like I don't know what, when we have a substantial amount of money, we'll give it as a gift to some something. Okay, we'll feed. This will be when we're having all this pleasure of gifts that we'll give also a gift to as as yet unnamed cause. So you can if you want to. And Elizabeth will keep it. So you can bring next next week, anytime. Um, don't go home without taking more books. Well, what's your position on that? <laughs> That's my position. These gifts, these are gifts for everyone. No, no. Is everybody all right about everybody taking books? Linda. I don't know if this brought 
the other thought that went through my head with all this is I have always wanted to do this with CDs. I have like a plethora of CDs that sit that I never listen to, or I, and I would like other people to. Somebody else would go, I love that person. Yeah. So I think we could do that with music. Sometimes. How about we do that in March when I'm back again, and we'll That'd do that. Nice. So the second the second Wednesday of every month we'll do the precepts. And the third Wednesday of every month, we'll do our our exchange. Uh, James Barras. Well, first I'll tell you this Sunday. If you uh, haven't signed up and would like to, you could come to an all-day teaching on mindfulness and uh, loving kindness practice as the cause of happiness. I am doing that here all day long. It's actually it's a, it's a Whatever you pay for it, I don't know what it. Maybe it's free. I don't know. Is it or you pay? Forty-five to seventy-five donation. Forty-five to seventy-five donation. That goes to Spirit Rock, uh, and it's a um, plus Donna. But actually, it's a party. Yeah, but it's a party to celebrate uh, my new book. So that means, and so that means two things. First of all, it means that the first six hours of that seven-hour day are teaching and meditating and in silence it means that the last hour is a party with uh, lemonade and cookies and uh, it means also if you're a I'm pretty sure it means this it should if it didn't say I'll check it but it should be CEU units for anybody who needs CEU units um, in uh, psychology or social work or nursing MFT MFT it should, absolutely. I, does anybody have the flyer in front of you? Yes. You have the flyer. Let's see. Julie, does it say? Because I need those units, too. <laughs> no, it's actually one of the things. And actually, it is very psychological, so it's quite legitimate. Uh, to, to, to sliding scale, da-da-da. Credits. Five CEU credits for MFTs. LCSW, psychologists, and nurses. You have to pay an extra $25, but you get five CEUs. So there you go. Psychologists. psychologists, nurses, social workers, family therapists. All of us have to do that to keep our license. Um, so that's this Sunday. Uh, also, James Barras, last thing. I'm going to pass these around. James Barras, how many of you are taking James Barras's Joy Course. You want to say a word for the Joy Course? Well, it's um, uh, part of uh, James's uh, Dharma uh, I'm passing this around. Uh, journey and teaching to um, something called Awakening Joy. And he began some years ago with a really fabulous book called um, How We Choose to Be Happy uh, by two researchers from the East Bay. James has been doing this for a couple of years. He got very interested in practices to arouse joy, which is a little bit different from the way we're using happiness here. We're using happiness more in the general sense of contentment, but how to infuse your life with joy so that contentment is more possible. And he's been teaching it for a couple of years now with great success. They're one-year courses, and this year's course starts on... Uh, January 29th, which is a Tuesday. I'm actually teaching that night, the debut evening of the course, but it's full. The Wednesday evening course also, I think, is full, but you can participate online. 
you can sign up, participate online, and uh, it and you uh, contribute. Uh, there's a suggested donation, but you can give whatever you want. So it's fundamentally Donna. There's a suggested donation of twenty-five dollars to be in the course, but a month, but which isn't a lot. But uh, you do whatever you want. So, and I didn't have enough of them, but it was written up in this month's Oprah magazine, so I passed it out. So everybody's going to come next week with the homework. Will a few people stay to make sure that all of our books either have been accounted for or taken, or otherwise we'll, we'll take them to the, uh, to the Goodwill or someplace that will use them well? Thank you. Yeah. Yes, yeah, Nancy, put the basket, or somebody put the basket. Thank, Thank you. you very much, yes. Last time you had mentioned Homeward Bound. We, I, thought we would, I thought we would do Homeward Bound yeah. because we've been supporting them for so long. Yeah. But instead of just the monthly food that we would put together a gift because they're building a new facility at this yes. point, and it would be lovely to be one of the major contributors to that facility. If we collect $500, we can you know, say this is from the Wednesday class and give a really formidable gift. And we can take the whole year or however long. I don't think they have a place to deal with them. I don't think. Is there a book for people in box for people in prison? Okay, well, let's see that it's not the children's books or the Vanity Fair. You can take the whole Vanity Fair with you. you can, it looks like a hundred years of Vanity Fair, which is a great find, you know. The crayon book is still there. How are you? How are you, Connie? How are you? Good. This was actually a very fun morning. I had a good time, too. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.